this episode of the Higher Ed Shift, the team talks about the idea of allowing student loans to be forgiven in bankruptcy. Bankruptcy is a financial clean slate when it comes to most personal debt. Student debt is a bit of an exception to this rule, and it currently is almost impossible for federal and private educational loans to be discharged in personal bankruptcy. However, Senator Durbin recently introduced the fresh start through bankruptcy action that would allow student loan holders who have been in repayment for 10 years to discharge loans. The introduction of this legislation has kicked up discussion for and against the idea. And Carlo, Chris, and I are going to jump into the fray. Keep listening to hear our thoughts on bankruptcy and its role in managing educational debt. Welcome to today's shift. How's that for an intro? Very precise. I like it. I feel like it was opening the door for the shift puns to start rolling in. I've been working on those. I know you have. I've seen the slacks. Yeah. So on today's episode of the Higher Ed Shift, we wanted to talk a little bit about some new legislation that was introduced last week by Senator Majority Whip Durbin that actually talks about the use of bankruptcy as it relates to education loans. And so a little bit of background for people around bankruptcy and, and education loans is that First of all, let's talk bankruptcy. There are really three three main forms of bankruptcy. The first being being business, which we're not even going to talk about. But there are two forms of private or individual bankruptcy, and those are chapters seven and chapter thirteen. And so, under chapter seven bankruptcy, you can have all or part of your debt discharged um, after your after your assets are are liquidated. So it discharges the debt. Whereas 13 is more of a reaffirmation and um, a reset of, of your debts. So you're basically reaffirming that you're going to repay the debts that you have, but under an under a new payment agreement after, after liquidation. And education loans used to be dischargeable under bankruptcy until the mid-70s. And then there started to be some concern that potentially some of the individuals with the highest volume of debt being doctors and lawyers were going to use bankruptcy to discharge, to borrow tons, discharge their debt. And so in the mid seventies, around 76, it was, it was legislated that student loans, federal student loans could not be discharged under bankruptcy and that, but private loans were still dischargeable. And that changed in about 2005, where um, no longer could individuals discharge their private student loans under bankruptcy either. So we've kind of been sitting in this space now for the last 15, 16 years where student debt, federal and private, is not dischargeable under our our federal bankruptcy laws. And this this idea of reintroducing bankruptcy into the mix, we thought it would be interesting to have a conversation and and talk about what are are the advantages and what are the disadvantages of being able to do that. So I see couples heads shaking. Who wants to to kick us off? Let's, Let's see what 
what are the reasons, why might someone support being able to discharge, let's talk federal loans in particular, under bankruptcy? So Amy, I I look at it from, from the perspective of allowing somebody a clean reset is is a moral good, right? Um, it's the ability to say, look, somebody has gotten themselves due to their life circumstances into a, into a place where they need help. And it's a way for them to get that clean slate, restart, um, and move forward. And businesses, I, I look at this as a business person, businesses uh, use debt to grow. Their, their business frequently or to get a business started. And then when the business doesn't go as anticipated, uh, bankruptcy laws allow for that to be corrected, basically a, a safety net. And so when we talk about student loan debt, student loan debt is an instrument. It's a, it's a tool. Uh, you're not growing a business, but you're growing yourself, Yep. right? You're taking out money for, uh, what you believe to be future earnings that you'll receive because of your credential. And so when something doesn't go right, this gives a student a way to reset. And then once they've reset, I think of the, the, the economic benefits of that for all of us as a society, because now that I'm reset, I can go back to trying to write things and get back to contributing to economic growth, contribute as a taxpayer, um, you know, all those productive things that all of us in society benefit from. And so that that's the way I see it. Now, I'm I'm happy to I'm happy to have Carlo tell me that I'm wrong because I, I am I am all the time. So um, but uh, but yeah, that that's that's the way I see it. Before he does that, I have a question. So yeah. you're you're using the example that something goes wrong. So what would, what would maybe some of those examples in education be of something going wrong? Is it just that the student doesn't complete their degree? Is it that they overborrow? Like, do you have any, are there limitations that you would place on it or is it just? Well, I would probably put some limitations on there because of the concern that was had in the seventies around, well, what about some of these highly paid professions who take out a lot of debt to get a professional degree, like a lawyer, a doctor, et cetera, you know, would, would there be some abuse of these laws? So you could definitely put a cap. Um, we, we already look at income-based repayment. So we're already looking at certain types of leniency within the, within the, the student loan program that are based upon my income level. So I think mm -hmm. you could, you could set a ceiling like that. When I say things go wrong, uh, People have life events. Even if you get your credential, even, even if you get the degree and the degree leads to that dream career, mm -hmm. people get sick, people go through life experiences, you know, things that interrupt their life experience. Uh, we go through bad economies. And so there are other safety nets in our society for when we have an economic downturn when someone has a disability or even a short-term disability from an illness, something that disrupts that business of you, that the bankruptcy bankruptcy process could, could, could allow for that, for that safety net, that mercy. Yeah. I, okay. So Carlo, 
why, why maybe might someone say we shouldn't forgive student debt through, through the mechanism of bankruptcy? I was hoping we could get back to the part where I get to tell Chrissy's wrong. Oh, <laughs> he was waiting for that. I truthfully been waiting. I've been waiting to be teased that I, that I've been absent from the podcast for the last few sessions. I, I was totally prepared yeah. for that. And you guys let that go. Like a birthday surprise. We were saving that for the end. I got you. I got you. The good news is if you listen to any of the episodes you weren't able to attend, we actually did it on air. I see. We already sent them up. We already, we already did it. I've got them queued up to listen to. So I'll enjoy those later. <laughs> yeah. hey, hey, listen though, right? Like, I mean, like, so, so there, there, there's a couple high level reasons for, for people who don't like bankruptcy uh, as it relates to student loans are typically tend to be two, uh, two main reasons, right? Like the first one is that uh, there's no recoverable asset, right? Like typically in bankruptcy, especially in chapter seven, right? Um, there's an asset you can claim back, right? Like uh, if you're going to get rid of the debt, like the person who is trying to be made whole in that situation can get the asset back. Like think of cars, think of homes. There's some kind of collateral. Some kind of collateral, exactly. But there isn't, you can't like, I can't take a bachelor's degree away from somebody, right? Like once you have it and once you've earned it, you have it. And so this idea, he doesn't know how my memory works because I don't remember half my bachelor's degree. Right. I don't either. But let me walk my way through, right? <laughs> the idea, though, is that because there's no recoverable asset, right, proponents or opponents of bankruptcy will say, hey, like giving these folks the opportunity to uh, earn a bachelor's degree, earn some credential, you know, and earn potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars or, or that magic million dollars over the course of your lifetime, your working life. Uh, and get that for free just doesn't feel very pal, right? Like it's the fact that you can't recover this asset and that I could basically just be getting my education. That's that's argument number one for why a lot of people don't like this idea, right? Like argument number two is uh, is a more technical, but I think it's actually the more important one, which is uh, in the case of bankruptcy, uh, the belief is that a debt has to be an undue hardship right? Like this debt has to be strangling me. This debt has to be, you know, creating this trap that I'm in that is hamstringing sort of the rest of my life. And in the case of federal student loans, uh, federal student loans are very unique in that they have a whole bunch of economic hardship repayment plans. In other words, like how can I be having an undue hardship if I'm in an economic hardship repayment plan where by design, my payment plan is designed so that it's not a hardship. So how can my monthly payment not be a hardship on me, yet I can go to a bankruptcy proceeding and say that my student loan payment is a hardship? And there's this internally inconsistent logic there where I can't go in and say, hey, I can't afford my student loan payment. It's breaking my back. And then a judge is going to say to you, well, why are you in a program that uh, only requires you to make a payment that's a fraction of your income each month and is going to forgive it? By definition, how can that be a hardship for you? So I think those are the two, those are the two big reasons why folks who are against bankruptcy protection uh, for student loans, for federal student loans, you know, would say, um, you know, these things need to be thought out more carefully before we just jump. So I've decided that I no longer want to be the moderator and I'm just going to jump on in here for a moment and Take say, a side, Amy. Yeah, I'm totally going to take a side and Chris, we're going to, we're going to be on team uh, pro bankruptcy here um, because 
So first of all, there's no asset. All right. That's, I, I, I would disagree a little bit. I, I know it's not an asset that can be pulled back, but what I would say is medical debt is dischargeable. And what are you going to go take someone's kidney back? You know, so, so if we can discharge things like medical debt, when, when you look at the only types of things that cannot be discharged under bankruptcy, we're talking about things like child support, alimony, tax debt, uh, and uh, debts incurred through criminal activity. You think education lives in that class of debt that can't be forgiven through bankruptcy? Well, again, like, so one, I'm not supporting it. I'm just laying out the cases for why some people are antagonistic to the idea. But again, right, like there is this sense, like, you know, if I buy a car with debt and I go through the bankruptcy process, they're going to take the car back as a way to recoup the loss on the investment, right? Like, why should I, why should I be entitled to borrow $30,000 for a car claim I don't have the money to pay my bills and be able to keep the car, right? Like it's that kind of logic that I think people struggle with. And they say, well, no, in that case, somebody will come and repo the car. They'll say, you owe $30,000 on the car. The car is worth $15,000. We're going to take the car back as part of your bankruptcy reorganization. And so I think people look at that same thing with student loans and they're just like, hey, like I can't take your degree away from me, right? Once you've been granted a degree, I can't pull it back. So- so what about people who don't earn their degree? What about our non-completers who didn't actually earn a degree? Does that, is that different? They earned an education. Like we can't. But as, as did a, they? Yeah. So that's a really good point because if you look at the numbers, right? Like if you look at economic data, it shows that people who have some college, but no degree still get an economic return on their investment. Over time, they earn more money than just high school graduates, even though they don't have a credential. So just the mere act of learning, even if there's not a credential tied to it, at least if you look at the economic data, says that there's still some benefit. I still got educated. I still got something. Even if it's not a credential, I still got And learning is an asset, right? Education is technically an asset. Whether that's right or wrong, I mean, it's probably the more philosophical of the two reasons. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's a hard thing to argue against. Well, let's talk hardship for a minute. So that was your, that was your last argument was that hardship. You have to be able to show hardship. And if your payment's at zero, you can't show hardship. Do do coworkers count as a hardship? I'm not, I'm not really sure where you're going with this. Are you talking about (laughs) me right now? I was just curious. Just curious. Just curious. Mm -hmm. It's like the kiss of death to me. So what I was going to say about hardship is you can't measure the hardship on an individual or the impact on an individual who holds student loan on the monthly payment alone. Because when we calculate debt to income ratio, when we when we look at payments and, and that thing, those things, the, the student loans are going to sit on on a student's credit and it's going to impact their debt to income ratio. And it's going to impact the ability of their credit to, to rebound as quickly if from the bankruptcy. So I guess what I'm saying is there are other hardships imposed on an individual by the debt than limiting it only to the monthly payment that is, that is being incurred. I think that's true. I mean, I think that's right, but 
I think in the grand scheme of all the things that get weighed in the bankruptcy decision, right? Like, and again, I'm, I'm trying to articulate a perspective, not, you know, advocating my own here, but you know, this, this idea that somehow I could stand in front of somebody and say that my debt is a hardship on me, um, yet I'm enrolled in a payment plan that is designed to make my debt not a hardship on me, like is just internally inconsistent, right? It's really hard for me to say um, this payment is making my life difficult when I enrolled in this plan so that this payment would not be making my life difficult. And so being able to resolve that how we do it, I don't know, but like that's one of those things. That I think before you can make the case for widespread bankruptcy, you have to come up with a way to explain that away, right? Like you have to come up with a way to justify it because today, one out of every three borrowers in repayment is in income-driven repayment, and that's only going up. It's not like fewer people are being enrolled in income-driven repayment. More income-driven repayment does not eliminate default. We have people on income-based repayment plans that still default. I know. And it's a perverse sense of our system. Like how on earth does somebody default? Because it's broken. It's broken. That's why we need to let them discharge through bankruptcy. As the, as the last resort. As the right? last like, resort. Like I see the two systems being able to coexist. Yeah, and they should. And, and bankruptcy shouldn't be a broad tool, right? We don't. We shouldn't make it easy, and it's still it shouldn't, painful. It shouldn't be easy, and 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 we should go through income-based repayment first and foremost. But wouldn't it be better? And this is what I'll ask my my economist friend here: is what's better for the economy, someone to default, or someone to go through bankruptcy? That's a good question. And so, actually, there's a really good sense of perspective on that because um, do either of you have a sense of how many? Uh, bankruptcy proceedings happen each year. Yeah, about seven hundred and fifty thousand for for private for individuals. Right. For chapter seven thirteen combined is around seven hundred and fifty thousand a year. Last year we saw a dip. Ironically, during COVID, there was a pretty significant dip. But before that, we were averaging about seven hundred and fifty thousand. Exactly, and about four hundred thousand of those are chapter seven, which is liquidating you know debts and assets. Chapter 13, like you said at the beginning, is reorganizing that. Mm -hmm. You know, around 400, 450,000 is chapter seven, around 250,000 or so is reorganizing the debt. So, you know, let's, uh, around 60% of college students take on federal student loans, right? If you blow that up to the population, and we assume that around 60% of the adult population has student loans. And we say around 60% of bankruptcy filers have student loans, right? Then what you're saying is that roughly around 400, 350,000 people a year who are filing for bankruptcy ostensibly should have student loans in that debt portfolio, right? Mm -hmm. So the question then becomes, right, is like 300, 400,000 people a year, like this is not mass loan forgiveness, right? Like that feels more like a tempest in a teapot. So to, to Chris's point at the very beginning, right? Like one of the one of the reasons why we may favor bankruptcy is because it's not like people are just gonna be like, oh hey, bankruptcy, let's all just file for bankruptcy. Because bankruptcy sucks. For 10 years it sucks. You lose yes. you lose access to credit, you lose like anybody who's gone through bankruptcy will tell you that bankruptcy is an extremely onerous process that lasts for years. And so you'd almost be cutting off your nose to spite your face by just saying, oh, I have student loans, so I'm just going to file for bankruptcy. 
and it wouldn't it wouldn't be the student loans in isolation either it's it's my financial circumstances i'm going to go into this this rehabilitation process because it's my student loan and it's the home that i got into and the and my my credit card debt like mm-hmm. i've debt has gotten away from me completely student loans are just a uh, a really nice target, but um, what my understanding is that one of the reasons we have bankruptcy is to make sure that not just that people can get a clean slate, but to encourage a certain amount of risk taking. Because uh, in, in anything in life, you you only take action if you uh, feel like there's some safety net. And so uh, as, a, as someone who works with higher ed institutions, I would think, and this is just Chris thinking out loud, I would think that this is, bankruptcy would be good for schools because we're seeing with Gen Z, they're very debt adverse. I mean, Amy's so debt adverse, she couldn't remember the word debt earlier. That's how adverse she is. So- um, Possibly. Yeah. So, so by, by helping students see that there's income-based repayment, there's bankruptcy, if, if everything goes to, to zero, right? That uh, taking the risk of getting the credential is good for, quote unquote, the business of education. If, um, I don't know what you guys think about that. So I think you're right, right? Like, I think that we should have a social safety net, right? Good things... I was about to say good things happen to bad people, right? <laughs> bad things, right? <laughs> you know, bad things happen to good people sometimes, right? And choices get made that don't just sort of unfold the way we would expect them to. And everybody deserves like a chance to sort of start the, you know, to learn from those lessons, start with a clean slate and move forward, right? And so um, for me, right, like I think we hear a lot of people talk about how their student loan payments are burdensome and they're they're, uh, they're a ball around their neck and their debt is crushing. Um, and so for me, if you make student loans eligible for bankruptcy protection, right, then what you actually will find is the percentage of people for whom that really is the case, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe I may say, oh, my student loans are killing me, right? But if I don't apply for bankruptcy protection, I'm probably just saying it because it's a stress on my life. But if I actually go file for bankruptcy at that point, I probably am being honest that my student loans are killing me. And so it's almost an honesty attracting mechanism because it actually helps me filter out the percentage of people for whom uh, the debt really is burdensome. And so yeah. is the is the pain greater than the cost of the cure? Exactly. Exactly. And so I think like if you're willing to go through bankruptcy and you're willing to endure, like imagine a world where you don't have a credit card. Right. Imagine a world where the most you can get is like a debit card with like 250 or 500 bucks on it, mm-hmm. where you can't rent a car because you can't have, you don't have a credit card to secure a car payment. Right. Like there's so many adverse consequences to, to filing for bankruptcy that for somebody to make that decision, you really have to be, um, you have to be willing to make a lot of sacrifices. And so I just, I'm not one of those people who believes that like, Oh, make bankruptcy available to federal student loan borrowers. It's going to open up floodgates. I just, I don't think that's going to happen. I think people who truly need it will take it. And so a couple of, one quick thing on that. When you look at the numbers around bankruptcy filings in the mid seventies from when 
student loans were dischargeable in under bankruptcy in like 74, 75 to when they weren't dischargeable in 76, there is no significant drop-off. You would anticipate if people were back then using it as a mechanism to, to get to rack up tons of debt and then get rid of it, then you would have seen some type of a substantial drop-off in the filings back in the mid-70s. And that just didn't occur. That's one thing to think about. The 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 next is I have a question, you know, about the actual recovery. And I, I'm I'm wondering if bankruptcy would actually create some some financial relief to our student loan portfolio because i believe that one of the most expensive activities in servicing is actually collecting on on debts that flow into into that are delinquent and flow into default so i'm i'm wondering if there's a benchmark that really debts under a certain amount discharged through bankruptcy would actually uh, save the student loan portfolio money. Is that a crazy thought, Carlo, as the mathematician and economist in the room? I don't I don't think it's a crazy thought. But again, like you said before, we don't just file bankruptcy for our student loans. We file bankruptcy on our whole debt portfolio, right? And so... So for people like this is where one of those quirks of federal student loans comes into play because you get a whole year to be delinquent on that debt before you even um, before you even become eligible for default. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you can't make a loan payment for an entire year, and like you said before, even people in income driven repayment have this problem. Right. Like that's a long time to be underwater. Right. And so I think I think at the point where. You know, we, we have to ask ourselves, if you're a student loan borrower filing for bankruptcy, are you going to do it while you're delinquent on your student loans? Or are you going to do it because you defaulted on your student loans? And I think it happens probably in the default stage rather than the delinquency stage. Um, and yeah, like at that point, I know people talk about this a lot, but the federal government is the most efficient debt collector in the United States, right? Simply because treasury offsets, right? You can't hide from them because they can withhold, they can garnish your wages and they can withhold tax so if the federal mm-hmm. government gets money, it can get its money anyway. So, um, but to, if, in terms of like making the process easier and cheaper and administratively less burdensome, like, yeah, it's probably going to be a good idea. It's probably definitely an idea worth considering, right? Like, I definitely think that somebody would want to score that and say, you know, what's the likelihood of, you know, having to collect fewer defaulted loans and how much we spend trying to do that versus just letting these get discharged so let's talk about a couple of the stipulations or, or requirements in the proposed legislation. The, the first is that student loans would not, federal student loans would not be eligible for discharge until students had been making payments or in repayment for 10 years. And the second is that there would be a, an accountability measure, kind of like a a benchmark similar to the cohort default rate of institutions that evaluated the the number of their students that went into repayment that filed bankruptcy. And so I don't know which one of those you guys want. I should have just given you one instead of two. Can I speak to the first one real quick? Because frankly, it's silly, right? Because uh, if I just choose to stay on the standard 10-year repayment plan, I've paid off my student loans in 10 years before I can even file for bankruptcy. Right. Like if I have to wait 10 years before I can even file for bankruptcy. Not very useful. And I stay in the 10 year repayment. 
plan, I don't get to a file for bankruptcy until the day I paid off my student loans. And that seems kind of silly, right? Like, so I just, I just want to point that out from the start. Cause as you were reading it, I was just like, Oh man, should I interrupt her? I think, I think it's probably, I think it's probably for what percentage of students are in an income-based repayment that have a 15 to 20 year repayment plan on them. Again, one in three, one in three borrowers in repayment today are in some kind of income driven. There's so many. I get what you're saying. Okay. So Carlo thinks 10 years of repayment is stupid. What do you think, Chris? Well, again, I'm for bankruptcy as a last resort. And so I don't think we should have mass bankruptcies. That shouldn't be our primary mechanism for managing the portfolio. So, so I would be okay with, I would be okay with that, that it's, if I get to the end of the 10 and I've had income-based repayment and I still have debt left, you know, and I have hardship and, and, and now we're talking Mm -hmm. about the people who are, I think the ones that really need to Carlos point earlier, the ones who really need bankruptcy. Uh, So, so yeah, I, I, I think that's fine. I, I always struggle. Amy, Amy and Carlo know this about me. I always struggle when, when we talk about measuring schools on things like default. Um, I don't think it's fair to schools. Uh, and I'm sometimes in the minority in that, in that opinion, like, if 10 years from now, I, as someone has all this other debt they took out and got themselves into a hardship, why is that the school's fault? Why should the school be measured on that? Well, the reality is just so you know, the measure is so ridiculously lean, lenient. No one's ever going to hit it because well, this, this bill puts a it penalty. It puts a penalty at 30% or greater uh, loans through district through, through discharge, through bankruptcy. And that's, that's an insane number. No way a third of an institution's borrowers are going to be claiming bankruptcy. Chris, to your point, by the way, like, I, I agree with you, right? Like, I agree as well. Like, this is one of the frustrations and it's another podcast topic, but lifetime cohort default rates are terrible because uh, if I'm struggling to earn money or pay my bills 20 years after I left the school, like how much of that is really attributable to where I earned my credential, right? Like that's a very tenuous leap. And so again, podcast for another day. Um, but Amy, to go to go back to this to this larger point, right? Like, you know, if the question is is is, is bankruptcy protection preferable to widespread student loan forgiveness? I think it's a better tool, right? Like I think it's a good tool for giving forgiveness to people who need it the most mm-hmm. and preventing forgiveness for people who would just either mildly benefit from it or unfairly benefit from it, right? And a lot of the student loan forgiveness proposal discussions are around why are we giving forgiveness to people who don't need forgiveness? And bankruptcy protection solves. This is more efficient. Yeah, it's more efficient as a policy lever or as a tool to like help people who need Sure, it's specifically designed for people who are struggling with their debts. It's by definition what it does. So just to wrap up, I feel like Carlo came over to my side by the end of this. Like, I think I I win this one. What I'm going to say is I don't think you won anything on your own. Fair enough. I feel like I had to jump in and throw you a life preserver before you even knew you were drowning. I I needed a little help. Or I just took over, Uh, which is, which is in my, my nature. So 
Two quick things that I'm going to leave more open-ended because we just don't have the the time to talk about them. But as, as I was prepping and thinking about this conversation, I was wondering, you know, does a bankruptcy discharge kind of come with a post-discharge monitor monitoring period like disability discharge does? Or does the does the utilization of a traditional credit mechanism to to discharge debt is that counter? to our student loan portfolio, since there's no credit mechanism, like there's no underwriting to get it. So to Carlos, a little bit of Carlos point, we have all other debts that, that someone is except medical debt, I guess there's, there's no underwriting there, but the majority of our consumer debts have some type of underwriting process in order to achieve, to get these. So it does, does the bankruptcy mechanism make sense? And what would the impact be? Would there be an impact on the private lending market? So I think there's just a lot of questions still out there. Obviously, we've gone back and forth as a system to dischargeable, not dischargeable, possibly dischargeable going forward. And the reality is because we, all of us argued both sides of, of this at some point during this conversation. So I think the biggest takeaway I have is the idea of re-implementing bankruptcy, it's not a black and white issue. It's potentially another tool in the toolbox to, to be able to provide assistance to people who have severe financial barriers going on in their life. And student debt is just one of those components um, and, and not the, the entire component. And, and that maybe we just, we need broader discussion and, and compromise around how we really address student lending and and total debt indebtedness that students have and need to start shifting the conversation more about understanding the debt that we are accumulating while in college, understanding what alternatives to fund a degree there are or to, to create a better financial fit for a student at an institution where the amount of debt that they're taking on, it better aligns with their personal risk profile, maybe, and, and the reward of their degree. And so I think a, a lot of, of good conversation, a lot of opportunity to keep having conversation, and hopefully people, people now can, can think about this um, from a little bit more from both sides and seeing that it's really not a black and white issue when it comes to, to discharge of, of student loans through bankruptcy. Chris, I just want to point out that a moment ago, Amy said that people in bankruptcy should basically be put on financial parole as well. Too. Well, and I would just want to point out that arguing both sides is how I typically win. You can't lose when you, when you argue both sides. Some people call it intellectual flexibility. On that note, thank you everybody for joining us. Hope that you enjoyed our conversation around student loans and the opportunity to forgive them under bankruptcy as we move forward. Please, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, follow our channel and share this conversations with your friends, family, and loved ones. We would love to hear any feedback and look forward to connecting with you again on the next episode of the higher ed shift.